0: I am going to open my podcast with a question. I haven't done this in a long time, and it is time. So here it is. As a music fan, as a listener, as an avid fan of the music world,
1: are you opposed to
0: current artists, current trends in general? Do you find yourself scoffing? disappointed, longing for yesteryear, I hear you, I see you, that's okay, totally okay.
1: Because you know what? That was,
0: and to a certain extent, still is me, yours truly. When I was growing up and all of the boy bands and the teeny boppers were doing their thing, I was so opposed to that music. I'll be honest, I thought it was beneath my tastes. I preferred, in just some context, I thought my taste was broad. It was not. What I listened to and what I loved was highly pop oriented, new age. I liked dance music. I liked trance. I did like classical, maybe a little bit of opera in there,
1: but almost nothing. And it wasn't
0: just. Current trending artists, songs, bands. There were plenty of genres I turned, turned from. It was rare for me to listen to or enjoy anything that was hip hop or rap. I didn't listen to classic rock back then. My parents had lots of vinyl from the 60s and 70s. But I wasn't really a big fan. I wasn't, I wasn't sitting there cheering bands like queen hello <laughs> even though my my parents had queen albums i wasn't a huge fan of that kind of music which is sad because when you realize the evolution of music and how you get to a point how you get to the point now how you get to this trend you feel that magic and it, it gives you some perspective i think so even if you don't enjoy the current trends You can go, you can sort of reverse engineer it and see how did we get here? And I have, for a very long time, yes, I've been opposed to current trends. And I'm, yeah, I'm like that now. I could not tell you who's in the hot 100 right now. I don't listen to the radio. I have a huge library of my own music that I've amassed over the years using a lot of my lunch money. <laughs> and I think my mom was well aware of that, but that's what I did. I would I would save. I, I would I would see something at Media Play that I desperately had to have. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Media Play, or you never went into a store like that where you could just listen to music and browse music and books for hours, it was a treasure trove of experiences. I remember going into Media Play, and I used to walk there after school a lot because it was on the way. I'd spend hours in there after school. And I would listen to albums like Janet Jackson. (laughs) And you'd sit there and browse these books. There was this incredible book that was basically Spice World behind the scenes. And to this day, I don't know why I didn't buy it. I must have read it in its entirety, sitting on a beanbag in that store 10 times. Media play was where it was at. I'm super sad that place no longer exists. but yeah, I, in that time, was not a fan of current music, and it's a lot like that now. I know the Biggies, you know, Billy, Taylor. I know the Biggies because you hear about them everywhere, but the ones that kind of come and go, or they linger in that top five, but they never quite hit the big, big time. I don't know any of those people. So I, I hear names and I hear band names and I, I have no idea who these people are. And I've actually made it a point to do better with that because I want to understand where things are at. I want to get a feel for it. There are artists that I have kept up with in real time. Lord is one of those artists. I'm fascinated by her. I love how talented she is. I I absolutely adore her artistry. Even if I don't necessarily agree with everything she's singing or I can't quite relate to it, I still love her voice. I love that she's a writer. I love that she's all in on the artistry of it. But back in the day, back in the day, when I was in school and everybody was listening to... The Backstreet Boys, Sync, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera. I-, I was not a fan, and I-, I made a point to not be a fan. What's got me thinking about this today? I'll tell you. I-, I have a little collab I'm working on, and whenever that happens, or anytime I'm getting to the point where I'm going to start recording vocals, I'm always messing around and singing things all the time. My own stuff, things that I love, like Queen, Things my go-tos, a lot of that could be Jewel. I love to just flit around and whistle and sing melodies all the time. It's just a thing. And it got me thinking about how I do that, my expression, what I sound like. I am so old soul in sound. And I'm not talking about a soulful style. I'm talking about the depth of where I'm singing from. And I'm not just saying that from my own perspective. I have been told that, that I have a very old soul sound. I have a very mature voice, which I didn't know what to do with for a long time because I would try to write songs like Britney Spears and I couldn't do it. I, I could write the song and I could imagine her singing it. But when I would go to sing it, it, it inevitably would sound like me and I couldn't force it to not. Be that way. So I was thinking about that as I was singing the other day and my delivery, which is very jazzy. And I am terrible with staccato and I I much prefer big, wide open vowels. And, you know, I definitely have my preferences when I sing. And there are things I struggle to do. And I see these people do these incredible runs and staccato deliveries. I think one of the best examples I can think of for someone a little bit more mainstream and not just someone who's on TikTok doing it. And there are some incredible people on places like TikTok and Instagram doing these absolutely insane vocal warmups and runs. But Ellie Goulding is really good at delivering a very staccato song. On my mind from her album, Delirium is a fantastic example of her ability to enunciate and do it very well and deliver it spot on those notes, the diction and that rhythm. She's very, very good at that. I'm not like that. I am not that person. It's a, great, it's a great exercise for me to get me out of my comfort zone, but that's not a place that I'm typically at when I'm singing. So I was thinking, okay, this is what I do. And then I was out running the other day and I was listening to Britney Spears, okay? So here's the thing. I wasn't a fan of, I shouldn't say I wasn't a fan. I I guess that's an accurate statement. I wasn't a fan of, as I said, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Christina. I think out of everybody, I liked Christina the best because I thought that I I liked her sound. I liked her voice. And if you had asked me back then, I would have said Christina was the better singer. But here's the thing. I was listening to Britney because, yes, I, I have actually bought since that time, since that moment in time when all of the teeny boppers and the boy bands were this big, big thing at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s, I've actually bought some of those albums much more recently because, hey, you finally realize these songs have something to them and that's exactly why they top the charts. So I was listening to Britney and I was running and I was thinking about the way she sounds. And I've, I've thought about this plenty of times. It's just, this is fresh on my mind right now in relation to what I'm doing myself. I was listening to her
1: and I was thinking, my gosh,
0: the intention, that absolutely flawless delivery of the way it sounds. Let's talk about Brittany's voice a little bit. I think a lot of people now know that the way she sounded back then was not her natural voice. I think that's pretty common knowledge at this point. Her natural voice was very deep and rounded and full. And if you watch her, if you listen to her sing, as a preteen even, at some of these concerts she sang at, it's almost operatic the way she sounds. And if you don't believe me and you haven't seen those videos, just go look it up. Look up Britney Spears' real, real singing voice and you'll understand. She had a very full, powerful voice
1: back then, but you can't market
0: that as well. So what did they do? And you know, honestly, I can't remember. I read a lot about this at one time. She was probably part of that decision. Well, let's, let's make my voice sound like this. So enter... I think I did it again. You know, very, very nasal, that delivery through the, through the nose like that, that very high palate delivery. And the, and the vocal fries, every time you hear her go uh, like that, that is a vocal fry. And I was, I was focusing on that while I was listening to her songs. And I thought every single one of those is so calculated and precise. And the way that she ends on a syllable And takes a breath and exhales after she sings something. Everything is so pristine and perfect. And it got me thinking about the intentions of a song and the flawless execution of something like that. Whether you love her or hate her, Britney had that absolutely locked in and nailed down and she knew it. And so did everybody around her who was marketing it. It was extremely successful. It was calculated. It was a strategy and it worked. It's kind of amazing when you listen to her songs and the way she delivers the vocals that way. Because I got to tell you, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. Every time I start to sing a song of hers, I end up sounding like me, which in some ways is good. But in other ways, you're frustrated because then you start to realize, and this goes for, I think, people who would, tease or pick on the way she delivered these vocals, you start to realize just how difficult that is. And yeah, I love people like Pink and the powerhouse people, you know, Kelly Clarkson, et cetera. I love people that sing like that too. But but there's something to behold, I think, in singers like Britney Spears who delivered vocals in that way. Now, sadly, that kind of delivery likely took a massive toll on her natural voice. And I think that's why, you know, people talk about that now and how, especially as she's gotten older, it becomes harder and harder to deliver any kind of vocal in a pristine clarity. It just does. It becomes a challenge. And this is why people, everybody, as they age, as performers, a lot of times will drop a key, slow down a song, et cetera, just to make it that much easier to perform it. Because you want to maintain your integrity. I know some artists want to continue to, to deliver a song in its original key, and its original style because they want to celebrate that. But there's no shame in dropping a key or doing what you have to to save your voice and to sound as good as you possibly can. Because most people can't sing a song the same way they did 20 years ago. You have to make some, you have to allow yourself, you have to give yourself some grace, I think. And hopefully if you embrace what you're doing, the audience will too. And even if you have to drop a key, it's not a big deal. But I was thinking about all this as I was running and the structure of a song and why it's done a certain way. So as I said, I was not a fan of those bands. I, I, I would, you know, I'd rock out with my friends. I'd sing along a little bit, but I wasn't this massive super fan. I, I was not the girl that had to be at the concerts. I was not the girl that was going out and buying the albums the moment they dropped. I was not that person. I was buying Mariah Carey and the divas and the singers that had those big voices with all of that melisma. And that's where I learned to sing and sort of taught myself some of the things that I do. Leanne rhymes. You know, there were some artists I kept up with as they dropped new things, but generally speaking, the really big blockbuster billboard people, I wasn't into that because I thought it was too calculated. It wasn't expressive enough for me. It wasn't dynamic enough. It didn't feel as genuine. And some of that is true because, again, this is very calculated. But let's talk about that calculation. Let's talk about that structure of the song and why it's such a big deal. When you get into songwriting in any capacity, and especially song mixing and mastering, it becomes very apparent very quickly that there is a formula that is being followed in the industry. And this changes a little bit, yes. As the trends shift and the general public begins to focus on a certain sound, therefore the songwriters and producers and artists do, the idea of balance in a song, the structure of a song, changes. When it comes to mixing, we have these bubbles, and I've talked about bubbles in a box. Every sound is a bubble in a box. The box is the room. And these bubbles all sit in a different space in the box and occupy a certain amount of space in the box. So you might have the bass in the middle at the back. You might have the drums in different sizes. Maybe you have the cymbals over here on the left. Maybe you have the snare over here on the right and it's a little bit bigger. And then the vocal, generally, the lead vocal sits in the middle in the front. It's always strong, it's always very present in the mix. And there's different ways to do that. A good, audio engineer is going to know exactly what to do with someone's voice to make it pop in the mix. There's a whole science behind this and it's very fascinating. And each genre has a recommended set of bubble positions and sizes within that box. You got me? Now let's go backwards a little bit further. Yes, I've talked about the bubbles in the box (laughs) before, but let's go backwards and talk about the style of a song, the arrangement of a song, performance of a song. This goes back to Britney specifically. She worked with Max Martin, producer, as did many of those big bands and artists back then. He has, what did I read? I want to get this right. He has written or co written 25 Billboard Hot 100 number one songs. I Kissed a Girl by Katy Perry is one of those. Maroon Five, One More Night. Shake It Off, Taylor Swift
1: and many, many, many
0: Britney Spears. It's kind of amazing. He absolutely dominated the production sphere. Why? Because his formula worked. So Britney, we have this nasal, very nasally delivery from her. I made you believe we're more than just friends. See, I can't even do, I can't even do it. If I was going to sing that song, I'd probably slow it way down and do some big dramatic swell of a new age thing with it that was very atmospheric, and be like, "I think I did it again." I might even change the time signature because I kind of want to do it naturally. But back to Britney. Okay, that very calculated, intentional delivery of hers—it was absolutely intentional—and all of the sounds around her, those crashing synthesizers that are super high pitched. The big drums, the cymbals, the wide choruses with all the vocals in them that that had... I've noticed there's a lot of octave harmonies in those songs. Very powerful, very commanding. That style worked.
1: It was totally calculated. And
0: pretty much everybody ate it up. Even if you didn't like it at the time, yours truly you knew it, you knew about it, you knew who she was. And pretty much anybody in that same vein that these great producers worked with was also pretty well known because these songs just flew up the charts. It was totally a thing. And I've realized that as I've gotten older and as I've explored those music producing, mixing, mastering
1: All of those styles, all of the applications, as I've explored all that, you start to understand why those songs were so brilliant, because suddenly you have context, absolute mastery at work, absolute
0: mastery. And... I'm kind of awed by that, even though it's still not my favorite thing. I'm not going to typically put on a song from, you know, NSYNC or... Actually, I would say... I, I would disclose that between Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, probably the Backstreet Boys. Although NSYNC had some pretty fun things happening, you know? Bye, bye, bye. And I still remember when they dropped their first single, I want you back. (laughs) My sister and I had that single, believe it or not. I think she bought the album, but I was not, I I was like, no. And I, I think part of my aversion to those bands and artists was because they were popular. By my very nature, I was that weirdo that just had to be the oddball. I was odd, so I took it to the max and I just, I, I, I couldn't allow myself. In a way, it was almost part of my reputation. Oh no, that's not my thing. Although I was very much a Spice Girl fan. But the thing about that is I became a mega fan before anyone else knew them. I remember that. They were on the radio in the States. I think that was early, was it early 96 or 97? I'm drawing a blank now. But I was one of the first people I knew at school that knew the Spice Girls and knew that song. And I walked around singing it all the time. And I think because I felt like I was a trendsetter, I was this wannabe trendsetter because I never set trends. I was so dorky. So as soon as I jumped on something first, I felt empowered and I embraced it. But of course, the Spice Girls was a whole thing. You know, If you were the same age I was at that time... You understand it. It was a movement. It was an attitude. It was a lifestyle. Being a Spice Girl or being a Spice Girl fan or a Spice Boy, if you will. It was so much fun. It was so cool to be a part of something like that. And so that was something I, I happily followed along with. But a lot of these artists and another another one I remember is Hanson, M. Bop. I remember I had a I had a friend in school who was just gaga over. Uh, I think the youngest, I think.
1: But these bands, I just, it wasn't my thing. And
0: I didn't get it. You know, the, sa- the sound, the sounds, the, the, the sounds, I was trying to say sounds, songs at the same time. The songs were just not in my musical vocabulary. I wanted something with more substance. And I felt like these songs were incredibly shallow that's what I felt like. And my, my best friends were, one of my best friends was a really big fan of Britney. She loved Britney. And her and I would talk about Britney and Christina. <laughs> We'd have these little playful arguments about who was better. But they're just different. I think you might argue, you might want to argue that Christina has much better vocal, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Acrobatic, I guess is, is a good way to describe it. Because she has... All of those incredible runs and her range is pretty impressive. So, you know, there was always that argument, though, who's better? But I really don't think you can compare them. You know, a lot of people call Britney the princess of pop. That's a really big deal. And a lot of that is her devotion to that artistry that she helped create. The voice, the identity, that sort of girl next door wrapped up with the sexiness thing that was very controversial at the time, by the way. If you weren't old enough to remember that or you weren't into it enough to know about it, that was a really big talking point when she started to burst to the forefront, especially her outfit in Baby One More Time in that video. I think I read it was her idea to tie the waist of that shirt, show her belly button, and she had a big say in the way that video looked and the way it was performed. And, and that's something, too. I think a lot of respect demanded for something like that. I've talked about artists and how much I love it when they're involved in the presentation of things. And it's not just about they go in the studio, they sing and they leave, you know, they write portions of the music. They produce portions of it. They don't just perform it. They work with the people playing the instrumental portions of it. They're, right in there planning the world tour stuff they're right in there performing everything they they have a say in the look of a music video they have a say in what they're wearing they understand how they want to portray themselves they're not just letting someone take the reins for them which is a very common thing in the industry especially for young people who want to be famous so when someone stands up and makes a statement and wants to do their thing and yes i know i know i know Britney was very heavily suppressed for a very long time. I'm well aware of that. But she did have say and control over things she was doing to a certain extent. And that is something to be applauded. I love that, especially since she was so young. But anyway, she was part of this thing, as were these other bands, were part of this thing that was very calculated and very successful and very well engineered for what it was. And I've read a ton of threads on the audio engineering sub on Reddit, just lambasting Albums by those artists and saying, you know, these are terrible, these are mixed horribly, they're compressed beyond all all recognition, say what you will about it, (laughs) they still went off the charts crazy successful and made a lot of money. So you can attack the style and the approach of these albums and artists all you want, but there was something there and it worked. So now when I think back to it and I... I listened to those albums I've since bought from the Backstreet Boys. I want it that way. You know what
1: song I actually really love?
0: As Long As You Love Me. I love that song. And and the silly thing is, it's not... (laughs) I've discovered as I've listened to the lyrics a little more with these songs... It's kind of a confusing message. I don't really like the message in it. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did, as long as you love me. That's not healthy, (laughs) is it? But you know what? We ate it up. We ate it up like a tray of chocolate and strawberries. (gasps) Oh, did we eat it up. It was the delivery. Those harmonies, those rich harmonies from those boys. It was delightful. It was pleasant, easy to listen to, digestible, really powerful pop anthems these things were. And I have a lot of respect for that now. I I definitely didn't back then. But if you were also that person, and you never thought about the intentions behind it, or, or you just didn't like the voice, you thought it was ridiculous, you thought it was immature, go back and check out some of those songs now. Go find them on YouTube, Spotify, go stream them, and just listen to what's being done. Especially with these performances that are absolutely pristine in their phrasing, their intonation, and their execution. When I'm singing a lot of times, especially when I'm performing my own work, I I like to improvise the vocal performance. I don't like to over arrange it. And what I mean by that is I'm not necessarily thinking this crescendo, this note has to be on this beat, and I'm going to end my phrasing on this note. I'm not thinking about all that. I'm feeling it. If I really wanted to, I could sit back and I could map out every single note I sang in every single phrase, but I don't like to do that. I like to let it come as it will, and I'll do scratch vocals a few times on a phrase, and then I'll decide, oh, I really like the way that feels. I like the way that flows. That's it. That's not how these people do this. Everybody who's writing these songs, in fact, even now, people who are writing songs that they want to make hit songs, those people, whether it's the artist or a plethora of songwriters, and sometimes you get 10 songwriters on one song, they are agonizing about where to start that word. What note do we end on there? Do we need a little run here? Do we need a little, ah, at the end, do we need to completely eliminate that inhale? These are all tiny little details that make such a difference in a song. And I think that goes without saying any song. It's not just the songs that people are producing to hopefully hit the top of the charts. Every single audio engineer, artist, recording artist, instrumentalist, people who are playing, singing anything are thinking about those things. You hope. If they're really good, they're all thinking about those things because it matters. The magic and the structure of a song is extremely important. That's why when you get artists who don't confine themselves to a page, and I love it when people just go with what takes them somewhere. When you get artists like that who can write something and aren't sitting there putting it out on paper on a music staff, they're not thinking about it on the scale. They're thinking about how it sounds. They're thinking about the emotion behind it. That's what's so incredible to me. When an artist can pick up an instrument or take a
1: vocal and just do it and do it without even thinking about
0: how is this fitting with the rest, and it comes out and it just fits. Oh, that is a God-given, innate, amazing, miraculous thing that continues to wow me. I love music of all kinds. I love, I love and adore performers who are good with any of it in every way. I love it when people can execute a vocal run that's absolute insanity. I love it when people can sing their heart out and, and just mix something up on the fly. I love it when people can pick up an instrument and completely improvise a whole piece without looking at a piece of paper. It's absolutely incredible to witness people do those kinds of things. And when you take a step back and you look at songs that you previously thought were boring or simple or immature or had no substance or structure, suddenly you realize, wow. And sometimes all you got to do is listen to that vocal, listen to that instrument, focus on one instrument all the way through, and you'll find something that surprises you and wows you. I'm not really quite sure what my intention of this episode was. I think I wanted to emphasize how it's good to look at what's happening now and look back at the things that you previously turned away from and embrace the awesomeness of those things in the creative realm because there's so much inspiration there and there's so much that's impressive. There's so much to behold from those awesome elements and those awesome moments from yesteryear. So go back, check out artists, songs, bands that you previously thought had absolutely nothing to offer. I think you might be surprised at what's buried in some of those songs. And sometimes it's good to dig through non-single tracks. Go find the songs that weren't on the radio. Go listen to things that are in a slightly different style and you'll discover that those artists were probably a lot more dynamic than you thought they were. Because the biggest hits that were on the radio, a lot of them sounded alike at the time because that was the trend. But then you find the B-sides and then you find those deep hidden tracks and you go, wow, I had no idea that this singer or this band or this artist, I didn't know that they did this. And that's really impressive. Go find the goods. I wanted to keep it light today. So I challenge you, go back. Discover the goods from yesteryear and open your mind to other genres. It's like me in classic rock. Where was I all of these decades? Why wasn't I listening to those artists? Why wasn't I discovering and exploring and learning about that evolution of sound from the folk and the acoustic that evolved into the gospel that inspired the R&B and the rock and roll and and then you start to get into the metal (laughs) and then the new wave and on and on we go. It just keeps evolving. I remember when Madonna dropped Ray of Light in 1998 and it was the be all end all of everything for me. It is still one of my favorite albums of all time, probably in my top 10, absolutely. And I remember thinking in that moment, Because that was a rare moment where electronica-driven sort of house pop came to the forefront. And a lot of other artists that were previously very unknown suddenly had a moment. Madonna's album, Ray of Light, helped usher that brief shining moment in. And at that time, I remember thinking, wouldn't it be awesome if all the music was just Electronic and electronica driven all over the place. And guess what? We are there. (laughs) So much of the music we hear in the top 40 list is so electronic now. And I am just dying (laughs) for something more organic. Isn't that funny? I want something that is more classic rock, acoustic, more genuine in its expression. It's so weird how we circle around. And I am waiting for that resurgence of rock. I am waiting for that moment please. All right, guys, keep yourselves alive. I'll be back next time, probably with a queen deep death. I hope you enjoy this little excursion into music of late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, so much of that trendy stuff. I just was very opposed to it because everyone else loved it. And I was truly depriving myself of an experience that would have been so much fun had I just embraced it and admitted to myself that, hey, this is catchy, this is cool, I like it. I like it. Discover more of what you might like,
1: and I'll be back next time. Take care.